What's up, Nation? AJ Riley and Matt Basson here. Excited to jump right back in with you to straight shooting. We've got a massive show on tap covering just about every sport. We're talking football and the hope of the draft. We're talking about the miserable state of the MLB, and we're talking about Coach K and his retirement. We're locked in, and we're ready to shoot straight, but I want to remind you to check out, to like, subscribe, and follow us at all of your favorite social media platforms right down there below. All the handles are there for you. And now, with that, we got our site set, and we're ready to go. AJ, you know I'm ready to go. I got the Tigers colors rocking. I got the orange, got the blue, got excited and getting, I'm hopeful, but we'll get to that in a little bit. We got to jump into our Detroit Lions trending topic. Where are the Lions going to go with the second pick? Where are they going to go with our second first round pick? Where are they going to go later in the drafts? Everyone's got their opinions on it. Our own Don Drysdale out there throwing out a quarterback that most of you ain't ever heard of as a later round pick. I promise you, Don is not talking about taking this man number two overall. Uh, but Tigers have a lot of holes, AJ. This is why they are where they are picking number two. You aren't a team with a lot of holes if you aren't picking number two in the draft a year after picking top of the draft, a year after picking number three in the draft. So, you know, this is this is what the Lions do. You know, we we pick early in the draft and hope that eventually it's going to make a team out of all these guys. Yeah, we do. And, you know, truthfully, you know, last year, Sinead Poole, Panay Sewell. Panay Sewell. Goodness <laughs> gracious, it's been a long day. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Panay Sewell falls right into our lap, right? And yep. it works out to be just fantastic, uh, great. He, he, he has a great rookie season. You know that that third pick overall the year before we we talked about it a injuries lot on our, live, on our yeah <laughs> injuries way. do suck but it was not the best way for them to go about um, you know oh, no. drafting in that third spot and so now we're sitting here at number two and it's kind of a situation of okay are they going to do the right thing right are they going to do the right well, thing and what is the right thing. Well, and I know what the right thing is in your mind. I see that block M sitting next to your head. I know what the right thing is in your mind, AJ Riley. That that there's potential for that, right? But like this EJ Perry article that Don wrote, right? We all know that the Lions need a quarterback. We do. But do they need a quarterback this year? This is for the backup and future situations. We're not talking about drafting a quarterback to come start right now and take over for Jared Goff. That's why you're not hearing about the Lions looking at Kenny Pickett or any of the top Malik Willis, your guy out of Liberty, any of the top quarterback oh, prospects. Oh, oh I see him. Oh, I see him. Liberty, Liberty <laughs> jacket. You are pulling for Malik Willis to be the number two pick by the Lions. I am not at all because <laughs> here's the reality. I have nothing against Malik Wills, okay? I'm not a huge, like, there are exceptions to this rule because there's exceptions to every rule, but I'm not a huge proponent of small school quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. And I know that makes me sound like an elitist in a lot of ways, but I'll wear that badge with honor because there are exceptions, right? Josh Allen, okay? But, like, yep. Carson Wentz came out pretty hyped, and he's... Mm -hmm. Then, I don't know what's going on with Carson Wentz. <laughs> and, and and so, like, I, I get all the hype around Malik Willis. He looked good throwing the ball at the Combine. I get that. But he did not look good when I saw him this year against, was it Auburn, I think, that they played? The, the one good Miss. this year I they, think played? they played? I think it was Ole Miss because it was um, their head coach's former team, right? Mm -hmm. and, and he looked awful. Like, so bad I turned it off. I was like, this guy's not not like you're proving my theory of small school quarterbacks right and so i what i don't want to see the lions do and i think will be a disaster like why are we drafting a backup quarterback wasting draft capital unless we can get somebody in like the sixth seventh round right yes. but i'm not drafting a quarterback until after the fourth maybe even after the fifth round because there's no reason to right now that's what this is, though. Is, it is. It, it is that fourth or fifth round guy that you never know becomes Tom Brady. Sixth round pick, 199th overall, 
Look what he turned into his first career. So, you know, and I'm not going to say that EJ Perry is this guy. We have, you know, if I'd have said, if we'd have done this show in 1998, <laughs> I said Tom Brady is going to be this guy, we get laughed off the show because you, sure. you can't know that. You have no idea sure. what these guys are going to pan out to be. But to take a quarterback that late, it's not a quote unquote waste of a pick because you're picking them so low anyway. Yes and no. Okay, let me go back to what I said about wasting a pick before the fourth round. I think the only way that happens, and it's not going to happen, but the only way you do if somebody from that top echelon like a Malik Willis were to still be there in like the third round. Not or It's not. It's not because somebody's going to fall in love with them. There potentially may be even suitors to come and get that number two pick to get him. So... Don't think that's happening for Malik Willis. It might happen for Kenny Pickett, but I don't think it's going to happen for Kenny Pickett either. Okay, fair fair enough, right? What I don't want to see happen is someone like a Malik Willis or someone like a Kenny Pickett still there when we draft at 32. Because then it's going to be like, oh, do you go and get him, right? Do you waste that second, first-round pick on a quarterback? And I think that that is such a dangerous proposition to make. Because of the holes that we have everywhere, right? We need that edge guy. We we don't even know what the back end of our defense looks like right now with um, Tracy Walker but still unsigned. And there's a deal that's potentially imminent, but nothing signed on the dotted line. So, like, we don't know what – like, we do know the holes that we have. We don't necessarily have a hole at quarterback right now, at least for another year. At least for another year. So I don't know. We're not going to win that much next year, you're saying. Not enough to matter. I mean, yeah, it does. Do we have to win much next year? Like, the team came on. The team came on at the end of the season, right? mm -hmm. And I don't know what the flip was. I have a theory that that flip was. They figured out how to get the ball to Amon Ross St. Brown, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, he's a very exciting playmaker, mm-hmm. right? And they, they kind of found the way to get Jared Goff off of checkdowns and get the ball past five yards from the line of scrimmage, which actually threatened defenses and made them okay, right? But is this a nine-win team next year? I, you know, depending on which people you're talking to, some think so. I'm not yeah. drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm no. not. I've drank it for too long. My stomach hurts because it's just bad, <laughs> bad, bad. So I'm going to let them prove it to me before I start getting even cautiously optimistic about this team. Because, and, and this draft will prove a lot to me in terms of Brad Holmes as a GM. It'll prove a lot to me. What does he do at number two? What does he do at number 32? Does he know that everybody's falling in love with Hamilton and potentially do what we suggested they do when they had that third overall pick, kind of hold that pick or that player hostage for more draft capital? Or does he just go with the combine freak of Aiden Hudson? Two years ago, with a third pick, you know what I wanted to do. I made it very well known. You let every NFL team know you are taking Herbert or you are taking Tua. Right. And you let them come to you with a trade to get your spot. And if they don't and give it, you a trade that you like, you draft that player and say, okay, price just And Bob Quinn comes out and goes, well, there wasn't much of a market. He's like, no, you didn't create the market. That's it, right? You have to create a market if you and want it to be. Brad there. Holmes, in his first draft last year, showed me a lot. Didn't pass on Panesua when he fell to us. And he made what I thought were very good and shrewd moves throughout the draft after that first pick. Although he so, could have had Micah Parsons, so... Like, that's the debate, right? I think Sewell is the better choice. Let me be no, very clear. I, I think long-term Sewell is the better choice, yeah. and we have seen we have seen the Lions swing and miss on linemen in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Every Lions fan knows the history of Barry Sanders and the lack of O-line. And it continued into the 2000s. And it Lake continued into the 2010s. Riley Reef, yeah. You know, so, you know, and, and a lot of people said a lot of stuff during this year, especially for us, you know, Matthew Stafford apologists and fans who were rooting for him because he was our guy for 12 freaking years. Um, the one year, the one year he had a good defense. We made the playoffs, had a good offense to go with it. We got absolutely boned against Dallas. Our punter picked the worst time in the world to have his worst punt ever <laughs> after that bone move that we got with the picking up the flag. Build this defense. And Kyle Hamilton, look, six foot four, playing in the secondary, going to get a lot of balls, a lot of hands on a lot of balls. Anyway, <laughs> the edge needs help as well. Yes. And – your guy out of Michigan, Aiden Hutchinson, putting up some pretty impressive numbers in the combine. Right. The, the, the second best uh, shuttle drill ever behind a wide receiver. <laughs> Means he beat out a whole heck of a lot of other wide receivers, a lot of other DNs, a lot of other linebackers. You know, uh, we saw him throughout the year this year, what him and David Ajabo could do for Michigan. And, you know, David Ajabo absolutely benefited from playing along with Aiden Hutchison, and his stock is rising now. People are talking about his athletic ability and what he could do. But Aiden Hutchinson, what he can do with one-on-one -on -one work is tremendous, and we need that kind of help. It's a risk, your idea of Brad Holmes shopping the second pick to see if people are going to jump up to grab a Kyle Hamilton. Uh, we risk... If we fall to the sixth pick, Hutchinson probably gone. Kayvon Thibodeau, whose name starting the year was the hottest prospect to get, has fallen off. But he's probably gone at that point as well. And draft capital is great, you know, and Brad Holmes didn't have much of it with the Rams. They traded a lot of it away, especially in the first round. Uh, so trying to make up for that here with a whole lot of draft capital, I understand it. But this team, under the new regime, I think defense first is the way to go. You know, of course, with building the trenches, got to keep building the O-line and giving, giving whoever is going to be our quarterback some help with the running game. And that starts absolutely with the offensive line. But I think defense is the way to go early in this draft. Yeah, I, I think it is 100%. I mean, look, the O-line is okay. Right, we had a pretty decent running game, if I recall last year. Right, they were pretty it, darn at good times, at times. At times, it was, sure. it was, it was more healthy. Right, because we missed Decker for how long throughout the season? I, I definitely think if this is if the number two pick is anything other than a Hutchinson or a Hamilton, then it is a failure. Because you have mind. no interest in Kayvon Thibodeau anymore. I have none. I heard none. he walked off the field after his forty-yard dash. Didn't even finish the combine. Yep, and Wait, promising beforehand to finish out the combine. So there's a there's an attitude issue there that we might need to look at. Yeah, I mean, and like I watched him run his, and he ran pretty well. But look, I don't I don't want we don't need a prima donna at defensive end. We need somebody who's going to get in there and who's going to take on a double team, take on a, a triple team like he was facing in the playoffs, right, and all that, and make things happen. So, listen, if, if they draft Hutchinson at two, I have no problem with that. I do strongly feel that draft capital is a huge thing for rebuilds. So, if if there are people making you an offer for that number two pick, you have to listen. But I think at the end of the day, Aiden Hutchinson is a Detroit Lion. Do you have any concern, and this is a uh, – this is – Senator Paul Roche sticking into my head here. Do you have any concern a few years from now when we have to resign Aiden Hutchinson and he's the number two pick, so he got a big contract to start, and now we got to top that to keep him? When we're going to have a whole team that we're going to have to continue to resign throughout these years, and hopefully it's a good team at that point. So you build from the trenches out, right? 
Mm-hmm. And I would much rather commit that type of money to a defensive end edge rusher than I would to a back end safety like Kyle Hamilton. Okay. Does that make sense? Yep. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, but I also love to work under the thought process of the future will take care of itself. Yeah, I get right? that. I'm not, I'm not going to let what potentially could be four or five years down the road limit what I have right now. Mm. You know, yes, you plan with the future in mind. You can't, like, not make plans and all that. But we're talking about a football business that is literally a here and now business, right? We're not talking about retirement plans and setting yourself up for life. Like, in life, it's a general rule and a good rule to plan for the future, right? Enjoy Mm -hmm. the moment, plan for the future. When you're running an NFL team, it's the here and now. Let the future take care of itself. Hmm. You know, I wonder if Mike Illich thought that way when it came to taking care care of the here and now and let the future just take care of itself. This man. Here we go again. <laughs> who, here we go again. We come off of the team. Was that? I said we come off the hope of the draft. <laughs> And have to now discuss what, Matt Basson? Uh, we have to discuss the uh, the orange and the blue. Uh, we could discuss the red and the white, but there's no reason to right now with the red wings. But we're discussing the orange and the blue of the Detroit Tigers. Uh, Chris Illich, the current owner, and uh, we will have to get to him in a minute. But uh, well, we can go with them now. Just we can go, go with them now? already up there. Yeah. Okay. And then we'll update uh, on the lockout. You know, Mike Illich buys this team in 1992. Mm-hmm. Not a great team <laughs> when he bought it for uh, $85 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, had some very lean years <laughs> up until uh, middle 2000s. Really, really lean in the early 2000s. Um, but eventually they got there. Eventually, the Tigers got there. 06, 2012, very competitive through the years in between, a few years afterwards. Eventually, they got there. We're back to those lean years. Some uh, bad decisions by management to get us there. Some bad management decisions to get us there. Uh, Chris Illich is in the news because he was one of the four owners to vote against the CBT rule, right? He did. Which didn't matter because they passed it anyway because the t- other 26 owners were fine with it. But because they have to, they throw out the four dissenting owners' names. And so everyone is trolling. As they should. Well, As they should. Well, why? It doesn't matter. It passed anyway. And the, and yeah, the, and the players' union you know said why. no anyway. <laughs> yeah, but you know why? Because there's still not an agreement in place. If that would have been the final straw and they would have been like, okay, we all sign on the dotted line, we shake hands, let bygones be good bygones those names don't get released. But when you have a collective bargaining agreement that has already cost you two series, and then on Sunday you meet again and the players propose a new proposal to the owners because you already shot down all of their other proposals, and then you start to criticize the players and like change the narrative and mm-hmm. tell them that they're They've changed their characteristic. Or, oh, absolutely. You know, we got to get the public on our side. Yeah. But the public, again, we said this last week, right? It's really hard to make people feel sorry for millionaires. And it's never going to happen that you make people feel sorry for billionaires. No. So why not throw them under the bus? I mean, you want to know who. Because most the of them are millionaires. <laughs> That's messed up. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when you when you talk about, you know, this, this, collective bargaining agreement and you talk about these issues the 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 onus can be placed on both sides let's be very clear mm-hmm. but the majority of it should be placed on the owners because they're the ones that are truly being in essence the most difficult the most difficult right and chris illich is no different why would chris illich decide to vote against raising the competitive balance tax 
the CBT. Why would he vote against that, man? I'm asking you that question right now. Because we're a big market, man. Didn't you know? <laughs> I mean, we... Yeah. I mean, I... The notion to me that Detroit is a small market team... Detroit is not Pittsburgh. Detroit is not Colorado, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that... Detroit has been... <laughs> we're not Milwaukee. We're not... Tampa Bay that can't draw fans who but have a good team, right? Detroit is one of the original members of the American League since 1901. Did you see those Super Bowl numbers? We were number two in viewership behind Cincinnati. <laughs> so, but like, he doesn't want to raise the the competitive balance tax because he doesn't want to have to pay more for this team than he thinks he has to. That's what it boils down to. That's the, that, that, because that's, here's that's what's going to happen. Businessman to me, you raise the competitive balance tax, then the Dodgers and the Yankees and the teams with money. Okay, yeah, I understand the argument that they're just going to keep outspending everybody. Sure, maybe, right? But that also means that you can also spend that much if you want to compete. And well, I mean, why would you want to spend $286 million like the Dodgers when you can get away with spending $42 million like the Orioles? How'd the Orioles do last year? I'm pretty sure they get the number one pick this year because they've been <laughs> terrible. But that's the thing, right? This goes back to the whole conversation we had about Derek Jeter last week and these owners almost feeling like it's okay to just field a team, maybe sprinkle some money in. And then be like, well, see, we tried. We just didn't, didn't compete, right? We didn't. We just fell short again, right? I think you're right and on the money. That's exactly what they're doing. What, what did we find out? Is. That two-thirds of the players on the field are still inside of their arbitration three years? Two-thirds, 66% of Major League Baseball players, players. Played against are still within only being able to make league minimum. Pennies. And Pennies that league on minimum – yeah, that league minimum is the lowest of all four major national sports. All four. Hockey, what was the number? They make like $750,000 minimum. Baseball. Uh, yep. Yep. NHL's number two. They're actually ahead of the NFL. You're making more yeah. money at league minimum in the NHL at $750,000 than the That's NFL, which is 360. And baseball at 570. Yeah. So, like, when I see those numbers, I, I am like, okay, I'm with the players on this one. They do need to raise the minimum salary. Again, I, 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 I talk about this. I talked about this last week, but we're not arguing here for the upper echelon of players to make half a billion dollars. We're arguing for the 66% of Major League Baseball players that – only make league minimum. Yes, it is still a lot of money. Huh? It's the majority of the players you see on your screen playing the game by far. Yes, it is a lot of money. Nobody is debating the fact that it's a lot of money, but they are not being treated by their employee, employer the way that you would want to be treated by yours. No. Right. And I and I've I've heard some arguments, I've seen some arguments where like, well, if they don't wanna if they want the other players to make more money, then they should take less money. Tell me when you would walk into your boss and be like, <laughs> you know what, Joe in accounting, he doesn't make as much as me. So can you cut my salary so that he can make more? Right. Tell me. A anybody ever done that? <laughs> I know I didn't. And I also know that I wouldn't. Because it's not my job to do that and worry about Joe and accounting. But the beautiful thing about this CBA is that you do have these upper echelon players being the vocal majority for the 66% that don't make a million dollars. That say, these guys need to get paid too. They're the ones that are bringing in the money. Sure, Max Scherzer makes $43 million on an average annual salary. He pitches one out of every five days. What about their second baseman that makes league minimum that's playing every day? Mm -hmm. And that's not to 
you know, denigrate what pitchers do because they're putting in work all every day too, right? Like, but they're highlighted once yeah. every five days. I denigrate them now compared to the days of old and you had to go complete games sure. all the damn time. <laughs> but this whole conversation started around Chris Illich. And what I don't like about Chris Illich and what I have a major problem with with Chris Illich is stop treating us Detroit fans like we're idiots. Well, how's stop, he doing that? Well, stop giving us the, the lip service that, like, when it's time to compete, we're going to spend. Right, and then vote against a competitive balance tax because you don't want to spend more well, than we got you eight days. Our new manager, okay. We That's got to, not we got to make compete in the in future years. Guess what? You got to field a team of 26 ca- capable and competent players to compete in this league. Maybe 25. How much, how much is making? I'm sorry, how much is Miggy making? Uh, a lot, a lot. One player. When did he sign that contract? Under his under Mike Illich, his dad. Oh, okay, that's Daddy's fault. Okay, I mean, it Daddy's might be that. But guess what? You still have to field a competent team in 2022. Just because his dad signed Mickey to an overinflated contract doesn't mean that now we suffer because of it. And I get trying to write the books. Like maybe you've overextended yourself throughout the years, but like when you get the opportunity to like throw a bone to like your fans and be like, yeah, I'm for spending as much money as I have to, to put a winner on the field. Like do that. He did. It's he's not spent $25 million on three players. He's done it one time, Matt. He's done it one time. And I'm afraid. And I'm afraid. Listen to me. I'm afraid though. They might, that might be the only time that he does it. Cause he did it. That's the lip service, man. He's like, look, oh, I threw you a bone. You should be happy with Eduardo and Tucker and, and Javi. You should be happy. I did it. Let's see if we can compete. Oh, we fell short. Sorry. Like, we got those guys. Now we have too much money wrapped up in them. I've so it's his fault that doesn't pan out, that Spencer Torkelson doesn't pan out? That's his fault? But, no, but they're not going to be making the millions of dollars, so they're not going to hurt his bank account at all. They're, they're supposed to be for the next couple years. I'm sorry? They're supposed to be in the next, you know, once they get out of arbitration. I hope those two or come up, the super light two. the world on fire, get named co-AL Rookie of the Years, which probably doesn't ever ex- would never happen, but then become super twos and end up making like ten million dollars in year three just to stick it to Chris Illich a little bit because I have yet to see that man like excited to be the owner of the Detroit Tigers. He always is just on TV like. Oh yeah, you're like we're gonna compete. I trust Al. Mistake number one. Number two, he hasn't put his money where his mouth is. Yes, this time he has said, "Okay, we went and signed Javi Baez." Okay, great. You know what you could have done? You could have also gotten Carlos Correa. You really want to make the fans happy? You really want to show people that you're like your father or that you care about your father's legacy and and how important it was for him to win a World Series? Go sign Carlos Correa too. Go do well, it. Why would he do that when he knew this lockout was coming? You can get him after the lockout. They're not getting paid until the collective bargaining agreement signed anyways. Oh, so nobody's not. making a dime until this is all done. <laughs> no, they don't have a, a collective bargaining agreement to, to pay him under. There's no guarantees in their contracts? Look, I'm not going to speak on something that I'm not brushed up on, but if oh, I yeah. were a betting man... I would tell you, I would almost guarantee that they are not getting paid. And I'll tell you why. The major rumors going around, and they're not, they might not have legs or anything, but you got some MLB superstars that are like, hey, Japan League, I'll come play for you. Really? We're going to have a Mr. We're going to have Mr. Baseball on our hands. You have some Tom Selleck's going across the pond. and so, so tell me, based on that, if the players are getting paid in their guaranteed contracts. It doesn't sound like it if they're willing to fly all halfway across the world to go play baseball. Unless it's I mean, just for the love of the game. I know there's a number of them that have already signed to go over to Japan. And I saw, I think it was on Instagram, Bryce Harper was like tweeting at the... Cool. I'm going to mess up their first name, but it was the Giants. They're like the Yankees of the Japan League. And he's like, got a spot on the roster? 
or something, you know, to that effect. You see so, Mickey go over and play for the Dragons and get his 3,000th hit over there. Yeah, could you imagine? Ah, uh, they'd string Illich up. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, you knew that Mike Illich loved this team. You knew that he loved this team. You knew that he loved the Red Wings too, right? Well, right. And I, but I've yet to Illich see that same. Baseball. I'm sorry. Illich played baseball. He played minor right. league ball. He played minor league ball for the Tigers. Right. I, yeah. I, but I've yet to see that same enthusiasm from the new principal owner, and that to me is a huge disappointment. Like I, you want an owner like a Mark Cuban who's sitting courtside berating referees because Absolutely. that's how much he loves that team. Right? Mark Cuban's a self-made man, if I'm not mistaken. And that's where I think the Chris Illich is not. That's Mike Illich was. I I think you're hitting the nail on the head, right? Mike Illich built Little Caesars that then afforded him to buy the Red Wings and the Tigers. He also bought an arena league team. He also uh, bought a softball team. <laughs> this man loved sports. But that's what I'm saying, right? Tried but to buy the Pistons. <laughs> but he made his money, and we're always more passionate about those things that we are invested in, right? And so, how invested is Chris Illich if it's you just want Chris Illich. You want You want him to sell. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to as long as he sells it to the right person. Well, it sounds like in Detroit, most people think the right person is is uh, Dan Gilbert. No, absolutely not. You know who I want to sell to? Freaking Mark Cuban. I want Mark Cuban. I've, I've been screaming for years to Mark Cuban to buy the freaking Lions. Oh, man. I, if he wants to buy Mark, the Tigers, too, cool. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's just, look, man, I this lockout thing, that's the last thing I'll say, and then we can move on, right? Like, it's just, it's a terrible situation. And nobody's going to come out looking good. But when you look, when you really truly step back and you get away from the millionaires, billionaires, and these are just greedy kid people that are playing a 10-year-old's game and like all that hogwash, right? Like look back and look at, step back and look at what the players are actually asking for. And you're kind of like, okay, that makes sense, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do a job for less than what I feel like I'm valued at. Well, I, I'm not going to sell. I'm not going to get up every day and go and put in the work, especially when, from their perspective, they're literally the top one percent of people that have ever played that sport. They need to be compensated like that. They right, need to be I, compensated like that. And this and, is and, nothing new. You brought this up today, and this is something that I think that we should probably start bringing to this show, right? You and I are both lovers of history. Mm-hmm. We are both lovers of history. And we, we would love to do a segment called On This Day, right? Yep. So, Matt, what happened on this day in sports history? Well, On this day, the great Bambino signed a three-year contract with the New York Yankees for $52,000 a year. In 1922, $52,000, which actually, AJ, if we do the numbers, is only a couple hundred thousand more than the than the minimum salary right now for MLB players. Right, right. Matt and I pre-show did the inflation calculator on what $52,000 actually was in today's money back in 1922. And it equates to 800000 $870,220. Now, interesting tidbit, and you want to tie it back to uh, to Detroit history, right? In 1921, mm-hmm. who was the highest-paid player in baseball? Uh, that would be the Georgia Peach. That would be the Georgia Peach. Ty Cobb made $25,000 in 1921. And That's the quite New a jump. Go around and go, oh, we will do better than that. We will pay you more than double what Ty Cobb is making. So this is, I bring that up and I bring that segment up just to say, this is nothing new. These inflated contracts are nothing new. The best players have always gotten paid. What we're trying and what the players are trying to do is make sure that everybody gets their value. And that's what I think is most important. That's what's most important. Take care of the guys who are also trying to come up and get to the show because the minor league players are a part of this. Exactly. But 
let's move on, right? Well, hang on. Let's Before we move on, let's let's give okay. let's give the people the information of what what did happen this Sunday when the when the when the two groups got together because there was some concessions that were made. And I'm going to need your help understanding this one. First of all, why do they want to make the bases larger? Less potential for collision at first base. Because that's like you get some pretty gruesome injuries at that. Okay. So when the first baseman is stretching, standing at the corner for the throw. Yeah, but you've seen a lot of times that like guys are just hustling down and they might like step on that guy's ankle right there. No, they're going to make it a rectangle where it goes down the first baseline. (laughs) Or not that. Sorry. down from first to second base, so the first baseman's further away from the running from the first baseline. I, I would assume so. They're probably just going to expand the square a little bit, um, <laughs> but that also like allows. Because think about it, right? Like if that base is a little bit farther off the first baseline, mm-hmm. if that first baseman has to move up the base a little bit to get an an errant throw, it kind of changes the angle and potential for a like big collision right there at first base. Okay. So I, I think it, I think it's a majority for like the first base. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one cares about second base. Guys get slid into all the time. Oh well, they've they've changed that rule too, right? If you're like, there's no more takeout slides. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go look in the '70s when guys were breaking up double plays. How they did it? Oh my yeah, god! When they didn't even hit dirt, they just bent at the waist and like hip check. No, they just cross bodied yeah. the second baseman or the shortstop. I know, right? So like a larger base isn't going to help with that. But All yeah, right. So that, 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 the pitch clock. We've been hearing about this for years to try and speed yeah. up the game. And people, one way or the other, this one I cannot get behind. AJ banning the shift. Yeah, it like is it. your job as a professional hitter to yeah, like figure out what to do when they shift. Here's an idea: you could bunt if the whole freaking defense is on the, between the first and second base. Did you you could bunt you it down the, the baseline and crawl your way to first base in time. Did you see the stat this week? Which one? They looked. They looked at Division One baseball. I think it was. Mm-hmm. And for bunts down oh. the third base line, there's a batting average of five thirty three. Yes, I did see that. Yeah. So like, but, I mean, yeah. even beyond that, like, Look, the, let's be honest. Okay, the bunts not sexy. We get no, it, right? Not. But here's the thing: they shifted on Ted Williams yeah. all the time. And he still found a way to hit 406. You know what else is not sexy? Striking out all the damn time in the hopes of hitting a home run. Here's an idea. Go back to basics. Learn how to hit the ball in the right spot. Have you ever heard Chipper Jones talk about hitting? You ever heard Chipper Jones talk about hitting? A hundred (laughs) times. You know, like his thing that he said? He goes, when I stood up to the plate, my goal was to hit the ball through the outfield wall. Through it, not over it. Right. It. It hard hard like, hit balls. Yeah, like, and this whole conversation, like, I get that launch angle and the analytics say that, like, launch angle matters. I, I'm, I'm for it. Like, I'm, I'm, I have no problem or nothing against numbers. But when there's a number that says if you bunt down the third baseline, you're going to reach, you're going to have a batting average of 533, right? Like, if they shift on you, Joey Gallo, who's who I'm thinking of specifically, but <laughs> down their baseline. <laughs> you know how quickly you get into the Hall of Fame with a 5.30 batting average. I mean, okay, you're not going to bunt every time, but like the reality is, like David Ortiz resurrected his career peppering the left field wall at, at Fenway Park. Mm-hmm. Yes, he would hit man- massive home runs, but. He found a way to pepper that left field fence. Well, that left field fence is also quite taller than most major leagues fences. Yes, but it's also much shorter. It's only like three oh, yeah. ten right down the third base line, I think. But but he's not peppering it down the third base line. He was peppering it in the left center field gap because he's going with the ball. He's hitting it, you know, right up the alley. And and so yes, I this whole banning the shift thing is. It's again Rob Manfred showing the clown nose that he wears to work every day. So this is because I was I was going to ask about the wording on this because I'm reading is that the players union agreed to allow MLB to ban the shift, which means yeah, that because the MLB wants more balls in play. So MLB but, came to the players and said, "Hey, we're we're thinking about banning the shift." 
Yeah. It wasn't and the players. It wasn't so. See, this, this this bothers me because if it was the players, and I know some players, you know, did, did have bitched about it. Excuse me. I know that some players have had their gripes about it. Yeah. And that bothers me more because it's your job as a professional hitter. But for MLB, the organization to come out and say we're thinking about doing this to get more balls in play—that's just cowardice. Well, it it's that, but it's talking out of both sides of their mouth, right? Because they want to speed up the game, but they want more balls in play. How do innings? How do innings end? They but end. The thing. If it's a ton of action, the fans aren't complaining about how long the game is. Okay, fair. But you know what? The fans, like fans, also aren't really complaining when it's a pitcher's duel, one to one in the bottom of the ninth, or zero to zero with sure. both starting pitchers just dueling it out. So, like. I don't understand why we have to create rules that affect like such an integral strategy, right? Mm-hmm. Baseball is all about tendencies. If you know that a guy struggles with a curveball, you throw him a curveball. Right. So what's the next step, right? We ban the shift. So then players like, again, I go back to Joey Gallo go, oh, man, I really can't pick up the spin curveball. So can we outlaw those two? What did Joey Gallo do to you? I don't know. He's just the first name that pops up in my mind because, like, he had, like, the same amount of home runs and singles in the same season. It was, like, crazy. He had, like, (laughs) 98 hits, and it was, like, 47 home runs and 47 singles or something like that. It was, like, nuts. It was, like, (laughs) crazy numbers. Like, you never see that kind of stuff. But then he's the one that's, like, the most vocal about the shift, too. Like, Either hit it over the shift, hit it through the shift, or hit it away from the shift. Right. I recommend hitting it away from the shift, personally, because I think it's going to yeah. give you the most time. You know what? Don't sh- if you strike out, the shift doesn't matter. Right. Also true. So, like, be a better hitter. That's what it comes down to, right? Like, just be a better hitter. And I get it. He's, like, he's a great defender. He's a home run threat every time he steps to the plate. I have nothing against Joey Gallo. He's just the first name that came to my mind. But, like, I just I, I just want to, like, okay, if we're willing to go this far on the shift, what's next? Right? And I know it's hyperbolic to say they're going to outlaw the curveball. But, like, <laughs> who knows with Rob Manfred in charge? Oh, yeah. is just way too high on these sliders. So, you know what, pitchers? You just gotta throw them hard and fast, just hard and fast, right down the, right down the pipe. Every day is you know a home I mean? run derby in major you know league. What I'm like, I know it's ridiculous and it's over exaggerated, but like, for goodness. No, sake. but so is the idea of telling these players you can't stand there. Nope, no, no, no. <laughs> get back, get back. You are not allowed to stand over there. No, uh, uh-uh. uh, we don't allow that anymore. Yeah, I mean, like. That's like telling defenses in football that you can't play a zone, right? Like, Mm -hmm. is that not the equivalent? It's the most ridiculous. Like, I don't know. I don't get it. I I don't get it. It's like like telling secondaries, you can't use your hands. I don't care the ball. You better get your helmet up there to block the ball because you can't use your hands anymore. Hands are only for wide receivers. Look, I'm done with the baseball talk. We've We've exhausted it over the last two weeks. We got, like... Can we please transition? We're trying to, to get a season here. We're not trying to end our season here. Like I know, I know, like a I like know. a Mike Krzyzewski. Ah, we're trying to keep our season going. I get that. We're trying to get new seasons. I we're not understand. saying goodbye. We're trying to say hello. Great Beatles song, by the way. Let's talk about Coach K. Let's talk about Coach K. Saturday night, right? Cameron Indoor Stadium. Saturday night, Cameron Indoor Stadium, and I promise you every single upcoming legendary head coach that is thinking about retirement is going to take a big lesson away from Mike Krzyzewski's retirement and make sure that their final home game is going to be against some second scrub D2 team to make sure that their final home game walks out a winner because somehow North Carolina in the second half against Duke put on a 15-point whooping to walk away at 55 points in the second half to walk away with a 13-point victory and put a little damper on Mike Krzyzewski's final game at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Yeah, I mean, 
what a bad taste in your mouth to walk out of Cameron Indoor Stadium with a loss to North Carolina and an unranked North Carolina at the time, right? Like Unranked. I mean, you know, a 20-plus win North Carolina team. They're not terrible sure. this year. You know, that was their 22nd win. They're 22-8. and eight. It's not a terrible college basketball record, but it does keep them out of the top 25. They might jump back into it now with this quad one win. But And they're a tournament team. Definitely a tournament team now. And they get a little revenge for the whooping that Duke put on them about a month and a half ago, a 20-point victory yeah. at Chapel Hill. <laughs> so they get a little revenge and get one final win, not quite enough to equal it, because Shashevsky now 50 and 46. You want to talk about a rivalry? 50 and 46 against North Carolina in his career. That's a rivalry. Not this crap we talk about Michigan and Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State. No, 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 no. 96 meetings and 50 and 46 is the split. That's a rivalry, AJ. That is a rivalry. So, my question to you, Matt, is this. What do you make, or where do you rank Coach K among the greats? I got him two. I got him right behind John Wooden. And I know plenty will argue that he should be one because it's a different era of basketball, and he actually he bridged the eras. You know, he, he start, you know, this man has been in coaching for 40 years. Basketball was very different 30 years ago. Basketball was very different 20 years ago. So he has bridged the modern era of basketball of one and dones, you know, he got 11 games out of Kyrie Irving at Duke. He got 11 games out of Kyrie, and that kid went on to become, you know, a top draft pick. That's, That's it. it. He got 11 games. That's all Kyrie played. He had an injury issue, but not the point. One and dones changed basketball, and a lot of head coaches have had trouble doing it. Coach K won a national championship in 2015, much to my dismay. Let me get this out there. As a Spartan, I am not a fan of Duke in any way, shape, or form. In fact, as a kid, I rooted for North Carolina because their colors are just sweet. Yeah, they are. <laughs> but was not a fan of Duke. Never been a fan of Duke. Have all the respect in the world for Mike Krzyzewski. But, God, do I hate his team. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, first of all, like, I'm sure there will be plenty of legacy talk, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a well-deserved legacy. Now, I have, always, I have always respected Duke and have always respected Coach K because he just <laughs> seemed like, and I know he's tough, right? And I know that, like, in coming out of West Point, in the soft society that we live in, that, you know, tough love is not really smiled upon very often. Nope. But man, oh man, could he get the most out of people. And I too was a North Carolina fan growing up, right? Anton Jameson and uh Carter. Dakota and Dakota. all those guys, right? Like literally nope. cried when they lost to Ron Majerus and I think it was Utah. Utah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Like I was young, right? I shed tears. Yeah. I'm not afraid to admit it. My dad's like, why are you crying? They're like North Carolina. I'm like, I don't know. I love them. Right? But anyway, um, so, yeah, never had, like, much, like, affinity for Duke or really cared about them. But then, like, as I got older, I, like, started to see, like, I appreciate greatness. Right? And mm -hmm. there's definitely greatness when we're talking about Coach K. Where would I rank him? I don't, you know. You ain't going to put him over Dean. Uh, I can't, man. Like, and it's for no scientific reason other than nostalgia, right? Mm -hmm. Which is not good sports analysis, but I don't care at this point, right? right? John Wooden is John Wooden, right? I, I think he will always be at the top. Dean Smith, love that guy. Great coach, too. I'm going to put him up there, and then I'm going to put Coach K. Okay. I, I get it. And, and look, you know, what and we sure. Numbers heat. probably flip those two, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna stick to my guns. I mean, you'll get heat on the John Wooden aspect. Look, the man won ten championships, but it was back in a different era of basketball. Freshmen couldn't even play. Lou Alcindor, aka Crudel Jabbar, couldn't play his first year of college. That's true. I think Bill Walton the same thing. Couldn't play his yeah. first year of college. You had to play on the on the freshman team. Lou Alcindor would lead his freshman UCLA Bruins and beat the national champion UCLA Bruins when they would scrimmage against each other. But 
you can't you can't look down at the fact of what John Wooden did in that era. I don't care that it was a different era. He owned it flat out. There was no rival to what John Wooden did during his era. Chesetsky, there's there's been rivals. You know, Roy Williams, that was a rival. You know, you both you know when he was at Kansas, didn't win anything in Kansas, got close, but didn't win anything in Kansas. Obviously, coming to North Carolina, winning a few national championships there, that was a rivalry. Duke has rivalries. Obviously, Coach K had rivals in coaching. Jim Calhoun at UConn was great. Won you know a bunch of national championships as well. We were hoping that Tom Izzo in Michigan State would fight a little bit more to be in that list. Still on the one national championship, but what Coach K has done with five national championships, including one just six years ago, it, it can't be ignored. The number of NBA prospects that came out of Duke University can't be ignored. The ACC championships can't be ignored. Everything that Duke, that Mike Krzyzewski has done and then taking that over to the Olympics and helping bring back the gold for the United States of America cannot be ignored either. His legacy is absolutely assured. He is no matter how you swing it, you want to throw Adolph Rupp and all these other older name, you know, had basketball coaches in there. He is top five all time, unless you are just an absolute hater. And I think he's towards the top of that five. Yeah, it, it's hard to disagree with that, man. I, I, I wish Coach K the best. Uh, I hope that his retirement life brings as much joy as those five uh, national championships do or did, I guess is the better way to say that. Uh, and I mean, if I had a hat, I'd tip it to you and I'd say, you know what, coach job, well done. Coach, That's I tip it to you, And I hope that Michigan state knocks you out of the elite eight and on our way to a final four again this year. <laughs> All right, you had to get that jab in. Hey, Absolutely. that's going to do it for us here at Straight Shooting. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow on all of the social media handles that you see down below. Uh, we've got another show of Straight Shooting that's going to drop on Thursdays, so be ready for that, and a brand new hoop show that's going to be starting soon. So for Matt Basson, I'm AJ Riley, and we'll see you next time. Three. Two, one.